Okay, where's Jesus been so far? Hands up. The desert. Jesus was in the desert last week. Uh, he had a great time. Where else has Jesus been? Uh, in the Himalayas. Yeah, Bev took Jesus to the Himalayas. Uh, he went on holiday with her. It was great. Um, and Jesus spent a lot of his time up mountains, didn't he? Um, and Bev talked about a few of the different things that he did up mountains. Uh, where else? In what? What? In a river. Uh, getting baptized. Yeah, Jesus has been in a river, um, which if we'd known about next week uh, already, we probably would have programmed for next week. But that's fine. Uh, Jesus has been baptized, and other people are only a few weeks behind, so that's good. Is that all we've done? Great. In that case, uh, so last week Jesus was in a desert, um, and that is kind of the st- the just before he starts his kind of full-on ministry, isn't it? That he goes, he's filled in the uh, Jordan River with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit sends him out into the wilderness, and he's tempted uh, by the devil and fasts for forty days, and then he comes back in the power of the Holy Spirit and starts his ministry. Now, can anyone remember where he starts his ministry? Oh, yeah, well, okay, fine. A wedding in Cana. Um, where's Jesus' hometown? Nazareth. That's where, and, and in Luke 4, so in the previous chapter to what we've just read, um, Jesus starts his ministry by going back to his hometown to start teaching in his hometown. And how does it go? It goes pretty great, doesn't it? For the first five minutes. And they, they're like, wow, this guy, like, we didn't know he could teach this well. This is pretty cool. And they're hanging on his every word. And then he's like, by the way, God is for the outsider, not, not, not the insider. And they're like, kill him. <laughs> and they try and throw him off a cliff. And he's like, maybe I should go minister somewhere else. That's basically been the background to what we're, where we're at today. So he comes to a town called Capernaum, which is actually on the border of the lake. Um, Jenny read the hard word, Gennesaret. Um, but it's the only place where it's called that. Uh, it's normally just called the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Galilee or the lake, whatever. Uh, but we're talking about Galilee here. And Jesus is staying in a town called Capernaum, just on the, off the shore of the Galilee, just behind where this camera is. Um, and uh, he stayed at Simon Peter's house the previous day and healed his mum of a cold. That's no nice, isn't it? Well, probably more than the cold. Uh, it was probably a bit more serious than that. But, uh, so Jesus has healed Simon Peter's mum. So he's met Simon uh, before. And now this morning comes and Jesus, the word about him is spreading. And so he goes for a nice walk on the beach. But who else is there? Tons of people. Tons of people. So it's not, uh, I kind of picture Jesus on the beach. Uh, we're looking at Jesus on the beach today. And I kind of picture him just kind of wandering around, you know, with the water lapping at his ankles. And he's just kind of serenely in the love of God, you know, just kind of wandering like that. But Jesus very quickly got very popular, which meant that he very quickly had a hard time having relaxing times on the beach. Uh, and as we read in this passage, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake, of the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. So you see, imagine this just full of people and he's got nowhere to go. Picturing it? Great. Um, So what happens next? He spots um, a couple of boats. We're just going to walk through the passage this morning. Is that okay? Good. Uh, So uh, Jesus um, saw at the water's edge two boats left left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. Um, Now, Simon is sometimes called Simon Peter and sometimes called Peter. Um, in the New Testament. My default is to call him Peter. So if you're not familiar to this story and I start talking about Peter, I'm talking about Simon. Is that okay? 
So Simon, Simon Peter, Peter, the same guy. Um, uh, but Jesus means Jesus. Um, he, he, so he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now we're going to be looking at how Simon fits into this story and Jesus' call on his life. But first, I want us to just get into this moment um, together. So this moment looks a little bit like this. Jesus is walking on the, by the lake or standing by the lake. Crowds gather and he wants to teach them. He wants to teach them the word of God, right? Um, but there's no room to. It's all very claustrophobic. And he's like, I'm going to get pushed into the sea. So he, he looks and he sees um, Simon, Simon there washing his nets by his boat. And he thinks, hey, great opportunity. I'll teach the people from the boat. So he gets into the boat and Simon's in the boat with him. And they go just a little way out. I didn't, it doesn't say how far, but I kind of, they need to be close enough that people on the beach can hear what Jesus is saying. Um, and then Jesus sits down in the boat, which I think is pretty cool, um, to sit down to teach. We never do that, do we? Like, this would be so much more relaxing if I just sat here, but it feels wrong. <laughs> I feel like I'm cheating. Um, uh, <laughs> but, um, so Jesus sits down in the boat and teaches the people. Now, if you are Simon in this scenario... What are you thinking? What are you feeling? I think if I'm Simon in this scenario, I'm thinking, hey, this situation right here is pretty awesome. I've got Jesus in my boat. He noticed me on the beach. Loads of people. He saw me and my boat. And now Jesus is in my boat And all the crowd are looking and they're thinking, hey, Jesus must really think Simon's cool to spend time in his boat and teach us from his boat. And you see, there's not really a heavy ask on Simon at this stage, is there? It's just pretty great. Jesus knows who I am. Jesus, like, this must be pretty much as good as it can be. I'm just chilling with Jesus in my boat and I get to hear him teach. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Well, it can't get much better than that. Surely hanging out with Jesus, hearing him teach all morning, and just being in a boat. Unless you don't like boats, in which case there's other situations that you'd prefer. But this is pretty great um, for Simon. And just thinking, wow, Jesus knows me. Now, I really like Christianity when it looks like this. When it's kind of low ask. (laughs) When I think, hey, Jesus notices me. Jesus wants to come and hang out with me. And yeah, I can just sit here and listen to what he has to say. Surely that's as good as it gets. Surely showing up every now and then and kind of staying in the shallows and just hearing from Jesus and knowing that he loves me and he likes me and he thinks I'm cool and he knows my name. Those things are all really great, huh? Is that as good as it gets? (laughs) Ooh, (laughs) trick question. Did Jesus come all this way to be a passenger in Simon Peter's boat? (laughs) See, it's okay for a while to be that kind of a follower of Jesus. And maybe that's, for some of us, that's where it starts. It starts in the kind of, in the shallows. It starts thinking, hey, isn't it great that Jesus notices me? Isn't it great that he wants to be uh, with me? Isn't it great that I can come along and, and sit next to him and he can teach me? And maybe I'll come to church on a Sunday and hear what he has to say about my life. And it's kind of cozy and I, I can think, hey, Jesus loves me, he notices me. And once a week, and that's great, and I'll go back and do what I'm normally doing. 
Is that the highest call of a Christian? No. <laughs> no. Now, Jesus wants so much more for Peter than that. Now, it's okay to be that kind of a disciple for a little while, but if you've been coming to church or being, being, call yourself a follower of Jesus for any length of time and your discipleship looks like nothing more than just listening to the words of God and feeling like he notices you, there's more. There's so much more. And so that's what we're going to look at now. So uh, when he'd finished speaking, so Jesus is teaching the people, when he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now up to now, up to now, uh, Simon Peter's just been happy, Jesus is in the boat, and there's kind of been a low level of demand, hasn't it? But now, Jesus starts interfering with his life. How many of you know that after a little while of following Jesus, he might start to tell you what to do? And that's kind of annoying. <laughs> like, Simon Peter's a fisherman, he's been a fisherman, it's his career, he knows what he's doing, and then this carpenter gets in the boat and starts telling him how to fish. And he's like, excuse me, Jesus, I think I know how to run my life. <laughs> I'm actually a professional fisherman. The best time to fish is at night. We were here all night. There are no fish there. Don't you just hate it when Jesus tells you what to do? And so often when, when I feel like Jesus is telling me what to do, I think, hey, actually, Jesus, I know better than you. Like, who are you to tell me what I should do with my money? <laughs> who are you to tell me what I should do with my life? Who are, who are you to tell me what, what kind of words I should say? How I should treat my family? What I should look at or not look at online? Who are you to kind of interfere with my life in this way? Who are you to say that I shouldn't go at 77 miles an hour on the motorway or whatever? But Jesus reserves the right not just to kind of come into our boat, right? And to be a passenger. But do you see that what he's starting to do is he's starting to say to Simon, actually, I don't just want to be passenger, I want to be Lord. I don't want to be a passenger in your boat. I want to be the captain. Is that okay? And that's a challenge for us sometimes. But that's what following Jesus looks like. So there's a really good doctrine called salvation uh, by grace, by faith alone, by grace stuff. It's not called that. That's a bad way of putting it. Uh, but this idea behind Christianity that um, there's, it's, not about, it's not about works that we get right with God. That's okay, right? It's not about what we do. It's about just trusting in Jesus and we're all good. That's okay. That's, and that's a massive thing. Like I'm not looking to diminish that at all. But ultimately also the call is one to follow Jesus and to let him be Lord in our lives. And so Peter fundamentally faces that kind of a choice now um, to let Jesus take control over his whole life. Now, that's kind of hard. Um, there's a, a cool story um, about this, about the, um, a guy who wrote a letter to the Inland Revenue. Maybe some of you will have, have heard this story. Um, and he writes to the Inland Revenue and says, Dear Sir, Madam, like you're supposed to, um, I've recently become a follower of Jesus, and I've felt so convicted about the years of cheating on my tax returns. And I just, I, feel, I can't sleep, I feel awful about it, so please find enclosed a check. Um, and yours sincerely, blah, blah, blah. And they enclosed a large check. And just at the bottom it said, P.S., if I still can't sleep, I'll send you the rest. 
Oh, that went down well. Good. <laughs> um, but there's this understanding. Actually, Jesus does want to say what we do with our money. Actually, Jesus does want to say what we do with our time, how I treat my family, um, whether I make Melissa get up in the middle of the night all the time to care for Martha or whether I try and help. Um, does that make sense? Um, and so Peter has this little choice. Do I trust Jesus or do I think, hey, I know better? So he's not really sure, uh, but he kind of says, Master, we've worked all night and haven't caught anything, but because you so say so, I will let down the nets. I like how he kind of covers himself. He's not committing to it. He's like, okay, Jesus, don't want to humiliate you in front of all your followers, so let's just have a go at this. But then they put the nets in, and what happens? Just imagine this boat, kind of like Peter just like, throw the nets down. Um, in fact, I've got a little picture of a guy throwing in. Oh, that's, uh, first I've got a picture of our hotel room by the Lake Galilee. Um, <laughs> it's just, oh my gosh. I did not want to leave that place. I was dragged away kicking and screaming from that hotel room. Um, uh, and that's a guy throwing a fishing net in. Uh, a little bit what it looked like what it looks like. So they let down the nets uh, for a catch. And then what happens? Peter's not really expecting anything. But you kind of imagine there's this kind of rumble or like they feel this pull. And then it's massive. And then like they realize that, oh gosh, oh my gosh, there's, there's like a live down there. It's like the water's alive. There's so many fish. And they can't even get them back up. So they're, they're calling to their mates, come and help us, come and help us. We can't, ca- we can't bring all these fish. Now, they catch so, so many fish. It's like an unbelievable catch of fish that the boats weren't even designed to hold this amount of fish and they're fishing boats. Um, so imagine this is uh, above average, okay? Um, are you with me? Uh, and so they, they bring all these fish in. Now, again, you're Peter. Imagine, so, sorry, or you're Simon, one of the two. Um, what are you thinking now? What are you thinking now? I'll tell you what I'm thinking if I'm Simon. I'm thinking this is awesome. Like, okay, I've been struggling to be a fisherman up to this point. I went out all last night. I didn't catch anything. It's quite hard being a fisherman. But being a fisherman with Jesus, I could be rich. Like, okay, we could do this. We could do this like five or six times a day, just kind of going out into the deep, catching an unbelievable amount of fish, Bringing them back to the shore, we could open a restaurant, Cod Almighty, uh, you know, the most holy place. Good. (laughs) If it goes really well, you could take it online. (laughs) It's an infinitely scalable idea, anyway. (laughs) Discounts for prawn again, Christians. Sorry? Yeah, because it looks like Sam's actually looking at his notes for a change. (laughs) With that in mind, isn't his response bizarre? But Simon Peter, Simon Peter, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Isn't that a bizarre way of thinking? That his ego isn't just built up by this. He's not just like, wow. Jesus must think I'm super awesome to give me this number of fish. Instead, he's broken by this revelation of Jesus. Now, that that strikes me as odd, but it's incredible how often that happens in the Bible. That people, when they come into this amazing, come into a, a revelation of who God is, it floors them. 
I love that. I love that. Uh, so for like you get Daniel in Daniel chapter 10. He sees the vision of the Son of Man. And, and he's, he's dressed in white and in linen. And he's so glorious that Daniel just falls down and he can't get back up. Like he doesn't have the strength to stand before this guy. Um, or like... Uh, John in Revelation chapter 1 has this vision of Jesus and it says when I saw him and he sees Jesus in all his glory um, and he sees him and he says when I saw him I fell down on my face as though dead like that and that's a friend of Jesus John walked with Jesus he saw the resurrected Jesus before but he has a vision of Jesus in his glory and he falls down on his face as though dead my fa- or, or there's Job isn't there um, he's like I, I heard of you with my ears but now my eyes have seen you so I, I'm in the dust and I'm repenting in dust and ashes before you or like Isaiah I love the one with Isaiah. Do you remember Isaiah chapter 6 when he has the vision of the Lord and he sees the Lord in his glory and the train of his robe fills the temple and he joins in this kind of heavenly worship services. The angels are like, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Heaven and earth are full of his glory. And Isaiah's response isn't, whoa, I got invited to this party. This is great. I could tell all my friends, you're not as important as me. I got invited to the presence of God. And instead, he's like, woe is me, I am finished. Because I'm a man of unclean lips, and my people are a people of unclean lips, but my eyes have seen the Lord. What I love is that how, how, often, how often that moment of realization is the point where the most business with God can happen. That point of undoneness and brokenness before him is the point where it's the point where God's like, great, I can use that. I can use you broken. I can use you undone in my presence. little illustration uh, for you. Uh, this is here for good. Uh, it's a beautiful place to uh, live and work, as you can probably tell from this picture. Um, notice all the people beavering away at their computers, uh, advancing the kingdom. And uh, it's just how it is. Uh, now, the ki- here for good, uh, on the floor, there's a carpet, right? And this carpet we had put in five years ago, something like that. It's a very nice carpet. It's a nice carpet, isn't it? Nice kind of shade of blue. Um, And over time, you just kind of, you know, we use the carpet. We walk on the carpet. We step on the carpet. And you look at the carpet and you think, hey, that's, that's a pretty nice carpet. Until you look at the next slide. Are you ready for a revelation of impurity? If you pull back the little carpet protector by the desk, you see what the carpet should look like. (laughs) And you're like, oh my gosh, this is a filthy carpet. You just want to leave the room and worry about what you're inhaling and what I'm breathing in. I'm going to stop eating food off that carpet soon because it's, it's, that is more dirty than I expected. But it's, I mean, it's even worse than it looks here. Guys, this is a little bit like what happens to Peter. It's a little bit like what happens to Isaiah. See, we go through life and we kind of think, hey, I'm not so bad. I'm, not, like, I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm just trying my best. And, and maybe we kind of feel like, hey, I'm an okay kind of carpet. How many of you feel like you're an okay kind of carpet? And, uh, but then, then you see what the carpet <laughs> should look like, what, what holiness really looks like. What righteousness really looks like, what the presence of Jesus really looks like, and what it shows you isn't it, yeah, it's how amazing it, it could be, but it also shows you, oh my gosh, how filthy am I? 
How, like, how wrecked am I? How much in need of his cleaning, of his grace, of his mercy I am? Does that make sense? And Peter's kind of caught up in this, in this moment of kind of, oh my gosh, in front of the presence of Jesus, I have absolutely nothing to contribute. I've got nothing to offer. He, like, and so Peter's response is, get away from me. Like, get out of my boat. <laughs> I can't have you in my boat because there's this enormous difference between you and I. But what I love about Isaiah, the Isaiah passage and this point is that where Isaiah's reaction is, I'm undone, I cannot do this, and Peter's reaction is, I'm undone, I cannot do this, God and the, Jesus in, in both of them, that's not the Lord's response. The Lord's response is, <laughs> don't be afraid. I want to make something of this. In fact, in Isaiah, oh, I just love it. So in Isaiah, do you remember that the angel comes and he takes a coal from the altar and comes up to Isaiah, flies over to him. <laughs> Scary moment for Isaiah. <laughs> and, and touches Isaiah's lips with the coal and then says to him, see, I've made you clean. And then what happens next? Does it end there? It doesn't end there, does it? What, what happens next is, is the voice of God says, Now, who shall go for us and whom shall I send? It's kind of like a hint. <laughs> and Isaiah, in, in, picture this, Isaiah is surrounded by all these angels, right? Angels' job is to be sent by the Lord. So he's surrounded by better qualified people than himself. And he's just being like, oh my gosh, I'm undone. But Isaiah's redeemed response is, I've just been cleaned by God. So he doesn't even know what the mission is yet. God's just said, I'm going to send someone to do something. And Isaiah's like, oh, pick me, pick me, I want to go. It's like donkey in Shrek. <laughs> He's like, who shall I take with me? And the donkey's like at the back. Kind of <laughs> um, I think I did quite a good impression there. Um, and... <laughs> I, I love that. Isaiah doesn't even know what he's being called to, but he knows, actually, I've been saved by this amazing God, and I want to just throw everything else in and go after what he might have for me. Like, nothing is off the cards now because he's accepted me, because he's made me one with him. Is that cool? And it's exactly the same for Simon. So he says, get away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll fish for people. Now, does Peter know what that means? <laughs> does he know what that's going to involve? Does he know all that discipleship is going to mean for him? No, he doesn't have the faintest, does he? He doesn't have a clue. But what he does know is, I don't want <laughs> to do anything that I know without this Jesus. I want to follow him. I'll happily leave behind my safety, leave behind my security, leave behind my plans, and just go after Jesus because wherever he is, that's where I want to be, even though I don't have a clue what it's going to involve. And so they pull the boats up onto the shore, these boats that he owns, like they're his property, and the nets that they've been working so hard to clean, and the fish that is a haul of fish that could have made him rich, and they just leave them on the beach. I'm not very good at running the PowerPoint. And... Sorry. Uh, they just leave them on the beach and abandon them and goes off and follows Jesus. That's massive, isn't it? 
That's a massive life change. And you think, think, where does this take him? This takes him on an incredible journey of seeing like Jesus teaching like no one he's ever heard before with an authority that he's never seen before. Seeing Jesus heal people um, like nearly every day of incredible um, awful things that have held them for so long. Seeing people raised from the dead, for goodness sake. I mean, this is a great thing that he didn't just stay in the boat, isn't it? It's a great thing. Um, seeing 5,000 people get fed with a packed lunch, seeing Jesus walk on water and calm the waves and, and do incredible things. Who wouldn't want to give up the life of a fisherman to follow that adventure, right? Who would want to stay in the shallows just hearing Jesus teach when they could be a part of a journey like this, of following him with everything in their whole life, right? But then, <laughs> that's not the whole side of it. Because as Peter's a disciple of Jesus, yeah, there's the really amazing stuff, but there's also the challenges, aren't there? There's the challenge on his character. That over time, following Jesus means bits of me that I don't really like come to the surface, and he wants to deal with them. So like the disciples walking along behind Jesus, and and Jesus is going towards Jerusalem to go and die for everyone's sins, and the disciples are fighting about who's the greatest. And he has to say, no, not so with you. Or like the day when they've been following Jesus around and he's been doing all the miracles and he's been doing all the teaching. Now that's an easy place to be a disciple. Just get to watch Jesus do it. And then he gathers them all together. He's like, guys, you've seen and heard enough now. You go. Now, because I'm nice, you go out two by two. That's a big challenge, right? It's not all easy being a disciple. Now, not only that, (laughs) but after a little while, Jesus starts talking about what it means for him to be the savior of the world. And he starts saying, actually, what it means isn't just a life of endless supplies of fish and endless supplies of bread and all this and healing. It is that, but it's not just that. I'm actually going to Jerusalem. And there I'm going to be rejected and spurned and killed. And by the way... (laughs) Uh, a master, uh, a student isn't above his master, and they'll probably do the same kind of stuff to you. <laughs> it starts to be a bit trickier to be a disciple. And they go through the process of going to Jerusalem, of seeing Jesus, the king of the universe, rejected and hurt and spat on and t- mocked and killed. And the incredible ups and the incredible lows of being a disciple of Jesus. The incredible like opportunities, but the incredible challenges. And they see him rejected and die. Now, <laughs> that's heavy. And not only that, but then, then the women start talking, don't they? The women start talking. If you know the women start talking, you should listen. And uh, the women start saying, uh, he's actually risen from the dead. Ooh. That we've seen him and we've met with him. And then he meets with some of his disciples and the, the, the momentum starts to build again. What is this? What is this? What is this? But I love this story at the end of John's gospel. Some of you will know where I'm going now. Um, where, where the disciples, Peter says to a bunch of his friends, I'm just going to go fish. Like, I, I, and maybe some of you feel like that. Actually, you've been a Christian for a while and there's been some great ups and you've seen answers to prayer. But also in the, in, the, in the time, there's been some ma- massive disappointments. Has anyone ever had a disappointment in their faith? Has anyone ever not, had a, has anyone not ever had <laughs> a disappointment in their faith? 
<laughs> well, I'm glad we're all on the same page. <laughs> and I feel like maybe, the, maybe there's kind of two sides to this morning. Maybe there's some of us who, like we were talking about at the beginning, you think, actually, I'm still kind of in the shallows with Jesus like, I, I've been following him for a little while, but I've never really trusted him with my life. My, my, my version of Christianity is he steps into my boat, and I get to hear him teach for, an, for a little while on a Sunday morning. And that's the, pretty much the limit of the space I want to give Jesus in my life. Maybe there's some of us who are like that. And, and actually, the call for you this morning is to start going on an adventure. But I think there's probably a lot of us who are on the other extreme, who actually, you gave it all. And you started following Jesus, and you, you're like, yes, I'm going to give my whole life to this. I'm going to make a difference in the world. We're going to see miracles. We're going to see people saved. We're going to see all like great stuff happen. And maybe that has happened, but what's happened alongside it over the years is just some disappointment and some disappointment and some disappointment and a miracle and some salvation and more disappointment. Does anyone have a, I feel like that's probably going to be some of us here. And that's where Peter gets to. And he, get, he says to his guys, you know what, let's just go back to what we know. Let's just go back to what we know. Let's get in the boat and we'll go fishing and not really think about it. And they get in the boat and they go fishing and all night they catch nothing. And then the next morning, someone's on the shore. <laughs> and he says, excuse me, have you tried the other side of the boat? They're like, what is he saying? Oh, well, let's just try it. So they try it, don't they? And they catch an amazing catch of fish. You know the story, right? I'm not telling it well, so I hope you know it. <laughs> they catch this amazing haul of fish. And then one of them is like, oh, it's, I think it's John. John's like, it's the Lord. And Peter's like, whoa. And throw, like, puts his coat on and then goes swimming. Uh, and swims to Jesus. And they have breakfast on the beach together. And Jesus like, calls them back to the start. Like back to where it all began. Because he wants to re-envision and recommission them for a life of following him again and giving it all for him again. Does that make sense? We've got um, a weekend away coming up with some of the youth um, with Sound, which is our kind of youth event that we do with a bunch of churches around here. And we had a, a meeting this week just to talk about what should we do with that time, like that time together. What, what should be the topic? And one of our young leaders, so a young person who's on the leadership team of Sound, just said, you know, I think, would be, I think what would be really great is if we just talk about what being a Christian can really be like at times and how, like, over time we actually pick up these disappointments and how, you know, we read these stories. It's not always like that. Like, it, sometimes being a Christian is really hard and you kind of lose sight of what it's all about in the first place. So th- this, this young person is, like, recognizing already that walking with Jesus sometimes is actually quite difficult, sometimes actually really costs. And what Jesus wants to do is in some way to bring us back to the start, like back to that moment where we realized, oh my gosh, look at his glory. I would give anything just to follow him now. Does that make sense? I, I love the um, picture that Bat had of <laughs> basically this exact spot of Jesus looking out across the waves and seeing, like, wow, look at all these guys who are going to choose to follow me. And they're so worth it. You're so worth it. And I love that, that Jesus is actually saying that. You are so worth it. 
I would like us to spend some time praying. Um, and basically what we're going to pray about is those two things. I think there's the, a couple of groups of people it would be good to pray for. Firstly, and I'm just going to say it again to make it really clear, because I'm not sure if I've been clear. We'll see. Uh, firstly, um, if you feel like I've spent enough time in the shallows with Jesus, enough time where following Jesus hasn't really meant following Jesus with my whole life. It's just meant church. Maybe it's meant I call myself a Christian, whatever. And there's so much more. There's so much more. That's one thing. If you feel like that, and you can feel like that even if you've been a Christian for 30 years, if you want. I don't mind. The other side is maybe you started out like the 80s were great. (laughs) And you saw Jesus do stuff and it was amazing. But recently you feel like actually it's been a while since I've really seen him do stuff. And there's a disappointment that's creeping into your life that's actually crippling your journey of faith. And if, you, if there's that kind of jadedness, that kind of disappointment, it would be so good to pray for that, wouldn't it? To, and just to ask the Holy Spirit, you, would, would you take, take us back to the start? Yeah, come forward. That would be great. Um, take us back to the start. Um, and, the, and maybe there's a new commission, a new call, and a new encouragement from the Lord. Bev's going to say something. I just, um, before Sam said all that, uh, that sound that went off sounded like, I was sitting over there, and it actually sounded like a doorbell. And the minute it went off, um, I just heard in my spirit, I stand at the door and knock. Because it sounded to me like a doorbell. Is it a doorbell? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and actually, it was in response to a question, how many of you have never been hurt? Or how many of you have never faced disappointment in your faith? And no one raised, and that sound went off. And I just had a real sense that God was saying, I stand at the door and knock. And thinking about what Sam has been saying about looking forward, about pushing the boat out, so to speak, stretching our faith, moving into new things of God, I just also sense God wants to deal with some of that disappointment today in your life. Um, Years ago, I had a picture of um, the graveyard of regret. And it's about literally putting that regret down, cutting off the past, it's finished. Where there's that disappointment, where you've perceived that you've been let down, or perhaps you've let others down, or perhaps where there's a sense in your spirit that God has let you down somehow. That doorbell. He stands at the door and knocks. Anyone, anyone can open that door and say, can you just come into that place and just heal that, that ouch? Can you heal that disappointment? Because often we can't move forward if our feet are stuck in concrete. It's very, very difficult. So I just wanted to sort of confirm what Sam was saying about this prayer, that it's very specific, maybe for one or two, where there is something where you've either blamed God or been having a discussion with God, where you've been let down, where you've not seen things happen. I just hear Jesus saying, I'm here today. I stand at the door and I'm knocking. He wants to heal that memory. He wants to deal with it. And he's saying, will you let me today?
Um, do you want to? 